Right, good morning. Great to have you here. I know uh, summer's busy, schedules are wild, and so thanks for making it um, in here this morning. A uh, couple things I want to close the loop on. First of all, uh, this morning, right between the gatherings, we had a prayer time as we're anticipating um, a year of transition. And so we, we are just want to engage you in praying for this season. Um, we are going to be looking for somebody here in the near future that is just going to be a great compliment to who we are and where we're going and will help uh, lead the way in that. And so as we uh, look at the lead pastor transition, we're asking you to pray with us. And so several went um, between gatherings and met together and got some information on, um, to guide you on what to be praying about. So if you missed it and you want to begin praying with us, I mean, please do. Um, as soon as we're done, right at the center stage there where it says, uh, what does it say? As you come in, it says, start here. Um, there's, there's a prayer sheet that you can grab and, um, and join us in praying about specific things during this year of uh, transition. I'm calling it Transition Strong, man. We are going to um, make this transition a great positive thing and excited about the future. One of the things is, man, through the summer, everybody moving, everybody... Everybody on vacation and our children's ministry continues to grow. And we're so pumped about that. Um, and as we anticipate everybody coming back for the fall, uh, if you're looking, you know, I should plug in someplace, I would say, that's the voice of God. And so uh, listen to that, pay attention to that. And if you'd like to help serve in our children's ministry, um, find out about that because there's a place that will fit your gifts and abilities and your time. And so, uh, Help us out with that. Second thing, close the loop on. About a month and a half ago, um, Jordan Skornick was here. Jordan is the director of Borland Free Clinic, which is just a wonderful ministry down on our lower level. It's one of two free clinics in the greater Portland area to serve the um, underinsured and the non-insured, or the people who aren't insured, uninsured. Um, as far as health, and as a result, they usually stay away from doctors until it's really late and uh, and then there's a big problem and so we um with borland clinic have been serving people well in our community and have saved lives virtually saved lives and um literally saved lives not virtually it actually happened um and uh and so they're expanding you know right now they're um in a, a big room is divided by curtains and and now we're going to they're going to uh, raise the money in order to make permanent uh, medical examination rooms that gives people more safety, more privacy, encourages more people to come and um, have their real practical needs met. Well, there was a gift um, offered to us as a faith family that if we were able to raise $25,000, they would match it. An anonymous donor. And um, it's happened. You've done it. And so thank you so much for that. Um, so grateful for your generosity. They're continuing to raise money. They, there's a ways to go in their goal, but they are, I, I don't know, 80 some percent there. And so we're very excited about that and um, continuing to serve our community in such a real practical, helpful way. 
So thank you for being a part of that. Um, today we're continuing our study in Genesis. And so if you have your Bible, we're actually going to start at the end of 29. We're going to go through 30 and 31 today. So hold on, man. We got a lot of room, to, or a lot of distance to cover here. And we're looking at um, Abraham's family. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis is about the beginning of the world. What did God intend it to be like? How did it get so messed up? Is there hope? So that's for all you know, humanity, first 11 chapters. From 12 on, it now focuses on God's plan to bring hope to all humanity through one family. And it's the family of Abraham. And through his line, there's a hope for the world through a promised Messiah who will make a way for us to be reconciled back to God. And so that's the hope. So we've been looking at the family of Abraham. Family of Abraham is a hot mess. It is just, it is dysfunctional. Um, people are doing dumb things all the time. And yet we see, um, as you look at the Bible, we see people just like ourselves, doing dumb things just like ourselves. And yet what we also see is the patience and the goodness and the love of God and that he carries out his blessings um, in spite of us, more than because of us. And so we're seeing that in this family of Abraham. His grandson is named Jacob. Jacob's sons will be the patriarchs of Israel. And so if you know anything about um, Judaism and Israel, Israel, the, the nation of Israel is made up of 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes are birthed from each of the sons of Jacob. All right, so those are the patriarchs. So we're looking at Jacob, we're looking at his family, his sons, and how do they get to be the patriarchs of this nation that God would work through? And um, once again, it is not a really great family picture. And, but we see the faithfulness of God through it. And so that's what we're gonna look at today. Jacob himself was kind of a mess. He, he was deceptive. He was a twin, he had an older brother, he uh, deceived his brother out of his birthright because it was all about this societal thing called primogenitor, which in, in ancient times, it's like the oldest son gets the lion's share of the birthright, gets the blessing of the father, because if you give most of it to one child, then the family name will stay strong and influential in that society versus splitting up it among all the kids. And so Jacob kind of undermines that process and he steals the birthright by manipulating his brother. He lies to his dad to get the family blessing. And uh, his brother is so mad at Jacob that he's gonna kill Jacob, or is he, I'm gonna kill him. And so Jacob has to run for his life. And, and, life. and so he runs away. He runs back to the land where his grandfather, his great-grandfather, um, Abraham, uh, came from. And so there's still family there. In fact, his mom's brother, so his uncle Laban is there. So he goes to Laban and he says, hey, I'm, I'm your nephew. Um, I had to leave my home. Uh, will you take me in? And so Laban says, sure, I'll take you in. And then Jacob notices that Laban has daughters in one of them. He's just totally smitten by. And Jason did a great job last week kind of walking through that. And he sees um, this daughter named Rachel and he says, man, she's beautiful. She's wonderful. I, I found my wife. So he goes to Laban and says, hey, can I marry your daughter, Rachel? And he says, well, will you work for me for seven years? If you work for me for seven years, then um, yes. 
And so Jacob works for him for seven years. At the end of that time, um, they have a big drunken party celebration. Uh, Laban sends in his oldest daughter, Leah, who it says has weak eyes, which I don't know what that means, but evidently she wasn't as attractive as, as Rachel. And so Jacob, Jacob goes, time out. This is the wrong daughter. I wanted Rachel. I was very specific about that. And, um, and Laban deceives him. And he says, okay, well, work for seven more years. Promise me that you'll work for seven more years and you can be married to Rachel as well, which again, was not an uncommon deal. It was uh, ancient time, ancient culture, ancient values, ancient society. And there's a lot of weird stuff in there that was normal for them. That's not normal for us. Uh, I've explained it at different times throughout the series. Not gonna spend time on it today because we're trying to go through three chapters. Okay, so... Um, so he gets married to Rachel finally. Okay, great. Now, um, you know, what a, first of all, Leah, I just, my heart just goes out to Leah because, hey, there this must be something wrong with me. The only way my dad can get rid of me to marry somebody else is to trick somebody. I mean, brutal. Just think of the inner conversation that she's, that she's having. So now Jacob has two wives. And, um, and here's the deal for Leah. Leah is able to bear him children and Rachel is not able to bear children. And so Leah is doing one of the things that is really valued in that society and for a family is to bring more children under our name, to keep our name going. And she's able to do that for Jacob. And so she's feeling pretty good about that because how she sees herself and her identity and her value um, is getting wrapped up into this. And don't we have those needs too? I mean, in, inside of us, there's kind of a deep longing to, am I of value? Am I loved? Does my life have purpose? Is it possible for me to have a, a sense of identity and a sense of um, I'm loved? and I can have contentment, things like peace. I mean, those are all deep desires that are within every one of us. And Leah, that's where she's at. And she's thinking, I'm having children and that can do it. That can give me the value that I want. So listen to this, end of chapter 29, verse 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son and she, named, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, I mean, She's just simply not able, or, or she's not, her affliction is that she's not the, the favored wife. For now, my husband will love me. Now that I'm bearing kids, my husband will love me. That deep hole in my soul is being filled because now my husband will love me because I can do this. Verse 33, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated. Wow, the self-talk in her head must be brutal. He has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, 34. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me. And so she had been placing her hope on being able to provide Jacob kids. And she's been doing that. And yet each time she has another child, she goes, maybe this will feel, fill the hole in my soul. 
because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing children. And so it's just a, a brutal picture of the inner struggle to have um, identity and significance and value. But now we go to Rachel. Rachel, the one who's always been looked upon with favor. She's been, she was very attractive, beautiful woman, and people have responded to her that way. But now she can't have kids. 30 verse one, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or I will die. That is the depth of the longing of her heart. It's like, I, I cannot be who I think I should, I should be if I can't have kids. And so, you know, it's the old thing. It's like, yeah, you, you have this and this and this and this and this. And then we say, yeah, but I don't have that. And we think maybe that next thing will be the thing that, that gives me rest in my soul. And that's the journey that Rachel's on. Verse three, um, and then she said, and here is a family sin that is being continued by her. Here is my servant, Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that, that even I may have children through her. Ancient times when um, you were barren and you wanted to provide your family children, you would get a surrogate. And if there were employees under um, your business, who were in your home, they were a family servant, and you would say, would you be willing to sit, be a surrogate for me? And so you were basically, you basically become kind of like a JV wife. And um, it was a step up in society, it was a step up in value in those times. And so today we think, oh my gosh, terrible misuse. And they didn't think that way, because they thought corporately, they thought, you know, how can I contribute to the bigger picture in society, and I sacrifice my individual rights for the, the whole, and we say, no, we don't sacrifice our individual rights. Individual right is king in, in our day and age. And so it was a different mentality, a different way of thinking. Um, wrong, but different. And so, um, so Rachel says, I can have kids, I can provide Jacob with kids through a surrogate. And so now, three wives, okay, and she, um, does get pregnant and does provide kids. And so now Rachel's thinking, I'm back on the good side. I'm back, you know, I was favored before and now I'm providing kids. I'm back in the position where I need to be to feel good about myself. And Leah goes, whoa, this is no longer, you know, I, I had something and now I don't. I mean, I felt like I was doing well. I felt like I had value. I felt like Jacob could point to me and say, well, at least you're giving me kids. And now that's, now Rachel's found a, a way to provide more kids, and now I'm not having kids. Wait, I can do what Rachel did. I have a maidservant. Hey, Jacob, I'd like to introduce you to Zilpah. You know, and, and so the craziness continued. Now, now uh, Jacob has four wives and a bunch of, killed, a bunch of children, and, um, and it's a big, big mess as they're still seeking to fill this void in them that none of this has. Even as they get things they want, it's not doing it for them. And so here's a thought, and it's a simple thought,
but it's not simplistic, and I want to talk about that. Uh, the emptiness that we try to fill in our heart can only be filled by God. It's like, what a churchy thing to say. And actually, when I wrote it down, it, I, I was kind of offended by my own point. You know, it's just like, oh, that is such a simple, simplistic way of looking at things. You know, it's just like, oh, yeah, just you know, accept Christ and everything will be good. And, like, and that is um, not true. But what is true is that you and I were created to be in a relationship with God who gives us meaning and purpose. And he tells us who we are. And he tells us where our identity is. Our identity and worth comes from the fact that the God of the universe made us, loves us, pursues us so much that he held nothing back in even sacrificing God the Son so that we can be reconciled to him. Now that, it might be wrote to you. It's like, oh yeah, I've been to Sunday school. I know that answer. It's like, yeah, but you don't know that answer. And as we start recognizing who God is and who he says we are, we begin seeing, oh, I'm beautifully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes. God says he knows the number of hair on my head. The God of the universe is transcendent and yet at the same time is eminent and personal and cares for me. Now we can know that here, but it's life-changing when we start taking that in. See, we are a complex, complex being. Um, I was listening to a scientist up in Seattle who was talking about he came to Christ as a result of being a scientist and studying DNA and looking at the incredible complex code that is within DNA. And as scientists look at that, it's like this is a brilliant code and it, it's an intentional code and you deviate from this code. It doesn't result in advancing. It results in everything falling apart and being destroyed. And there has to be intelligence behind this. You, you, you don't stumble from chaos into this complexity that um, is so complex, if it is changed by a minutia, it doesn't evolve up, it dies. And he's saying, as a result of it, I, I've come to the conclusion there has to be a God. There has to be a, a, a God. And the Bible says that inside every one of us is this recognition. There has to be something bigger than ourselves. And it says, there's also this recognition that there's a deep need within us that we're seeking that gives us meaning and purpose in life so that we can begin having some kind of rest and peace and experience even joy in life, even when we see you know, things messing up and, and falling apart all around us. And it says, you, we were created by God for a relationship with God and he created us specifically, and he created us intentionally, and he says, this is what I want you to know about yourself and believe about yourself and what's true about you, and this is what I want you to know about me. And as we begin being reunited in a relationship together, you will begin having that void deep in your soul filled. And that's a lifelong journey. And there's lots of stuff that, that gets in the way of that. And there's lots of things that through time we have pursued to fill it. 
and we're coming up with new things all the time. And as, as wild as we can think and our imaginations go, um, we are going to be constantly driven to fill that void. And so we'll say, let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. And what I'm saying in here is the Bible's telling that ultimately all those pursuits will leave you frustrated and empty. And it's not that they're bad. A lot of good pursuits. But ultimately, we're made for a relationship with God. And outside of that, it's going to be frustrating. We're going to get angry. We'll get angry at God. God, if, why aren't you meeting these needs in my life as we pursue these other things and think that God should be using them to fill that void? And really, he's saying, um, I want you to just sit down for a second. And I want you to know who I am. And I want you to know how much I know you and I love you, and I'm pursuing you. Now think about that a little bit. And then all of a sudden, life starts changing. And then when we get those things, like if we go into something and say, okay, if, if I can just be this successful, if I can get these grades, if I can have this success at work, if I can make this standard of living, I will have, I will feel like, ah, oh, there, there's, there's a sense of peace and rest in my soul. And what, what this is saying, what the Bible tells us is outside of a growing relationship with God, um, where you are growing in contentment, when you get what you want, it will fail you. Now, if you are growing in the person that God made you to be and in your relationship with him, when you get those other good things in life too, you can enjoy them for what they are without ever having to make them what your ultimate need is in life. And so it's, it's, it's a beautiful picture that God has for us, but it's a journey. I mean, there's a lot of things that stops us from it, and, and I am not here to tell you it's a simple journey. I mean, I was born um, with a sense of shame, and shame is uh, not beating yourself all, all up all the time because of the bad things you've done, in which I have. But shame is saying... Um, I'm not bad because of the things I'm done. I'm just bad. I just think something's not right with me. I, I think if people knew me, they would um, step away from me. I think people who compliment me only do it because they don't really know me. That, that is my bent, okay? Um, I've been working and listening to God to correct that bent and those messages in my head for most of my life. And... Uh, God is transforming me. The messages still pop up. It's still a struggle. Now, for some of us, it's not something that we were necessarily born with, but there's stuff that has been done to us that have put messages in our head about who we are that, that makes it very hard for us to receive the love of God. And so we begin chasing other things, at, you know, trying to fill that void. And uh, things that were maybe done to you that you um, had no hand in or word about, but you were taken advantage of. And those are deep hurts. And it becomes difficult to even embrace the love of God for us until we, we start going down the path of healing with those things. But that deep hole in our soul can only be filled by being connected to the God who made us. Anything else 
is going to frustrate us. Even good things. Because we're looking at the wrong thing um, to fill the, the, the real need. And the need is legit. And I, I don't get angry at all the different things that come up that people are pursuing and that people are telling us that we need to pursue. There's always wrong messages, but those messages are coming out of a, a, a sense of, I have a need and it's not being met, so let's try this and let's try that, let's try that. And, um, and it's not helpful. But it's not surprising. And it's not even coming from a bad place necessarily, but it's not helpful. You know, and, and today we're, we're seeking fulfillment and identity and value um, in different ways. And, and we know that, uh, for example, one of the, the major ways right now is through gender identity and saying, okay, um, your biological sex, maybe that's not the real you. And we know that, uh, I mean, studies have been done in Europe, studies have been done in the United States, and there is a real thing called gender dysphoria, where people were, with, are born with a sense of confusion about their identity with, regarding their gender. Um, and those studies will tell you that it's a fraction of 1% that are born with dysphoria, gender dysphoria. And it's a real struggle, and it's real. But now we're going, okay, well, let's just tell everybody that um, you need to consider, you know, what gender you want to be. And we're, we're not doing ourselves or our kids favors with that because we're telling the 99.8.9, depending upon the study you look, who don't have gender confusion, we're telling them that they need to start seeking that. Maybe that will be the thing that fills the need in their life. And so now there's a new thing sweeping our world called rapid onset gender dysphoria, where um, people who didn't have confusion about their sexuality now do. And um, it's concerning. And we're not helping our kids by offering, hey, chase after this, because maybe that will fill the hole that you're filling, that you're feeling, that you legitimately feel. And so we don't stand back and get angry at everybody, but we stand back and say, oh, this is just another expression of the same pursuit, of the same pursuit of saying, where is my value? Where is my worth? What's my identity? Does my life have meaning and purpose? Am I loved? How do I know it? Can I have peace? Can I have contentment? Those are the deep needs of our soul. That God says, uh, you know, I made you that way. And you find those answers in a relationship with him. But man, it takes time. But that's where um, we're to go. So um, enjoy the other things. But grow in your understanding of who God is and who he says you are. And enjoy him. And sit into that and rest into that and start um, getting confidence about who he says you are. Now, um, Jacob now goes to Laban and says, okay, I have, four, I have four wives, I have a bunch of kids, I've been away from my home, I've served you well, 
I've run your business. I've run the family business. I've taken the family business and I've, I've doubled and quadrupled the profits. It's boomed. But I want to go back home. And so I want to leave. And Laban um, doesn't say, yeah, but you, you have my daughters and my grandkids and I, I, you can't take them from me. He doesn't say that. He says, um, you're the reason why I'm killing it in business. You can't leave. And so name your price. What do I got to pay you to keep you around? Keep working for me. And so Jacob stays and he, he names a price and he stays and he stays for six more years serving Laban, who's deceived him all along. And yet Jacob has worked honestly. He's worked hard. He has worked to benefit a person who has not um, been a man of integrity towards him, who constantly deceives him. And yet Jacob has, in this season of life, has been a, a man of integrity. And so now, Genesis chapter 31, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so now he's been there for six more years after he tried to leave the first time. And so he's been there a total of 20 years. And God says, it's time to go back. You're, you're the, the child of the promise, where my promise is going to work through your family. But the place it's going to work through is in Palestine. And so it's time to go back. And I'll protect you. I'll be with you. Because Jacob's going, okay, not only do I want to leave my swindling son or my father-in-law, but I also want to go back to people who want to kill me. So that may be an issue. And so God says, I'm going to be with you. It's time to go. So Jacob um, is excited about it. Plus there's a building animosity towards Jacob in Laban's family because Laban has some sons and those sons are going, Hey, uh, Jacob gets all the attention. I mean, like he's the golden boy, like he's the only one working hard around here. And what's really bothering him is one of the deals that Jacob made with Laban is, hey, I will continue running your business, but I would like to start up my own small business as well. And Laban says, okay, if you'll stay, you can do it. Well, that business ends up exploding to be greater than Laban's business. And so Laban's sons are going, hey, this guy is, you know, he's self-centered. He's just, he's taking our stuff now to build his business. And they're just spreading lies about him. So the climate is changing. And so Jacob knows it's time to go. And the kicker is God says, Jacob, time to go. So Jacob gathers his wives and kids. And, but with his wives, he says, okay, um, I'm going to ask. I, I feel like God is asking us to move back to my home away from your home. And this is a big deal. This is um, leaving our kids, family, the place that they know, and it's time to go back, which is a great, I mean, Jacob right here gives us a principle to follow in marriage. Big decisions, do them together, man. Be united, talk through them, get on the same page because there's nothing more empowering in a marriage to know that, hey, if this all falls apart, we've agreed we're there for each other. We will go through the, the crud together if that's what happens. If it's good times, we'll go through that too. But knowing that you're going together is a great thing. And Jacob goes to his wives and, and says, this is what God's telling me. Are you in? And they say, um, yeah, we're in. Now verse 19. So he gathers his family. He gathers his possessions. And he's going to start hitting the road. Um, and this is how he does, does it. In verse 19, Laban had gone to shear his sheep. And so Laban's on a business trip. And Rachel, 
stole her father's household gods. And so Laban is not a believer in God. He's a believer in witchcraft and in, in, in um, other little gods. And he's, and he's praying them for wisdom. And Rachel goes and steals them. What's the deal with that? What, you know, Rachel, uh, you're a thief. And then verse 20, and Jacob tricked Laban, the Arminian, or Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. And so Jacob's kind of going back and he's not standing up and going nose to nose with Laban and said, I'm sorry, I know this is going to be hard, but I'm leaving this time. It's time for us to go because God is leading me and this is who I am. I'm a follower of God. This is the direction he's asking me to go and this is who he is and I'm going. See, when all those things line up, you're a person of integrity. When people look at you and, you, and, and you, they see who you say you are and where you're going and why you're going there, they would say, that's a person of integrity. That's who Jacob is. And he's going to let, and he, but he didn't go to Laban and say, hey, this is, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, man to man here, nose to nose and tell you what's going on, even though I know you're not going to like it. But he, he tries to sneak out. By the way, why did Rachel steal those idols? Some people think it's because she was still believing in those idols and that was a bad thing. She was synchronistic, which means I believe in God, but I also believe in these other things. And so it's like, whenever you believe in God and something else equally, that's called syncretism. That's something that God um, uh, says that don't do, don't do. You're putting somebody in my place, something in my place, that is, that is nobody can fill the hole that I should occupy in your life. So was Rachel doing that? Well, nowhere in there does it say Rachel believed in those idols or worshiped those idols. But if you go back to chapter 30, verse 29, six years before when they tried to leave, it says, but Laban, Laban said to him, if I found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination. What's that? That's, it's sorcery. It's witchcraft. So he's learned through the worship and the seeking of other spiritual beings to advise him on how he can get Jacob to stay six years ago. And he says, and what they told me is that the Lord has, Lord has blessed me because of you. And so I recognize that, so will you stay? And so Rachel's thinking, I think she's thinking, I'm getting rid of those things. I don't want him going to those and, and trying to mess up God's leading in our life again, and so I'm, I'm stealing them. And that's what she does. I think she's saying, not on my watch. You're not, doing this, my, you're not doing this to my family again. So I think that's her motivation behind it. I don't know. We'll ask her someday. But um, um, that's my best guess, all right? So um, they, they head for the border. They, they are on the move while Laban's on a business trip. Laban comes back going, what's going on? Where is everybody? They left without me. They left... You know, how terribly, so seven days it takes him to catch up to Jacob in his caravan. And Laban goes to Jacob and said, I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe you would deceive me. Who's, who's saying this? The guy who for 20 years has been deceiving Jacob. And he goes, not only have you deceived me, but, but deception is wrong. And it is not becoming of you. And, you know, I just go, oh, what an idiot. You know, how dumb. And then I think, oh, Lord, why do you, why do you bring this to mind? Because 
so many times in my life, it's so easy to judge somebody else's life and be blind to your own stuff. Blind to your own shortcomings, your issues, the things that you do that are selfish, the things that you've done to use people instead of value people. And man, we're all prone to it. And Laban is a poster child. And so they have a showdown. And he accuses Jacob of uh, being a deceiver and of stealing things from him. And so Jacob's response, verse 36, Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Okay, became angry. There's a place for anger. There's good anger. And for Jacob, we're going, yeah, finally, Jacob. Grow a backbone. And, you know, it's part of God's character. God's character is love and mercy and, and um, forgiveness and patience. Those are all part of God's character. But you know what's part of God's character? Righteous anger. Righteous anger. And so Jacob is, is doing the right thing here. And that he's placing a boundary and saying, you, you can't boss us around anymore. You can't deceive my family anymore. I'm laying the line down and standing up to your bullying and your manipulation. And so he says, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Down to verse 41. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six more for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. So that gives you a little glimpse in how how the six years have been, the last six years. Hey, you name it. You got it. You stay. Okay, I'll stay. And then he starts manipulating that again. And so... Here's, here's the thought. You know, um, you're going you're gonna to be accused of things. You're, you're going to be, and some of those things are going to be true. And when that's true, we, we own up to them. We square up to them and we take the consequences and we own up to them. But there's going to be a lot of times in life where you're going after good things and you're trying to do the right thing and you're accused of doing wrong. And it's not true. Th- those are more hurtful to me. When people accuse me of doing something wrong, and it's like, yeah, you're right. I feel bad about that. And I need to own that. Um, actually, I feel, I feel worse about that. But because when people are accusing me of things, um, and if you, do, if you take any t- kind of leadership, it's just going to happen, all right, good or bad. But you'll get accusations brought against you. And at that moment, you know what will help save you is if you're a person of integrity. Integrity is our best defense. Because people, I mean, Jacob goes, hey, I haven't stolen anything from you. And he hasn't. He doesn't know about what his wife did. But he's going to be for God, my conscience is clean. And people are going, if Jacob says that, I know Jacob. I know who he is. I believe him. His integrity is his best defense. And I tell you, and we'll do stupid things, and we'll do things that hurt people. But if you do, and then you stand up and you own it, and you say, I know what I did hurt you, and I'm sorry about that. That was not my intention, or maybe it was your intention. But whatever it is, if you said, this is not me, and this is wrong, and it's not going to happen again. If you're a person of integrity, the chance of you being forgiven is way up. Because people say, okay, I've seen you. I've known you. I know this isn't like you. I'm willing to forgive. 
being a person of integrity keeps you out of a lot of relational chaos and smooths relational chaos that you do find yourself in and you can get to smoother waters more quickly. And that's what happens with Jacob. So much so that Laban just says, uh, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's make peace. I'm mean, asked Laban saying that. The character of his son-in-law, he's seen for 20 years. And here, here's some things about, um, a couple things about uh, righteous anger. For, um, be angry about the right things and then respond the right way. All right? Um, most political anger is wrong because we're ticked, we've placed our hope in it, and um, so much so that our value is, is tied to it, and then we play the game, the political game is what do you do with your political enemies? You dehumanize them, you devalue them, you discredit the witness, you attack the person. And uh, righteous anger does not belittle people. Righteous anger does not abuse people. Righteous anger doesn't take your anger out on someone else. How do you be angry and not sin? I'd say, man, look at the, read, read the gospels, look at Jesus. He's angry at different times. You know the number one thing he's angry about? Hypocrites. Who are hypocrites? People who say they believe in God and then are self-righteous and judge others. Oh, we're last talking about people in this room more than people outside this room. That means I need to take my sin and be angry about when I'm selfish and do things against others and that are you know, acts of injustice or acts of self-righteousness where I think I'm so good because of this when really the only reason I could be made right with God because of what God did for me, not because of what I did for me. And so we have a humility. What did Jesus do about people who were blatantly believing in other things and acting out against God and pursuing other things? and resulted in him being crucified on a cross by Romans who were pagan believing people. And what did he say to these Romans? As he's hanging on the cross, he's being missed, misused, I and mean, he's being abused and killed by them. And he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. See, the righteous anger of God, many times, most of the time in the life of Jesus was directed at people who claimed they followed God and yet, or acting unjustly to people who didn't, or they were misleading other followers of God and were self-righteous and self-seeking. We take our own sin really seriously because we love God. And then we love our neighbors as ourselves. Righteous anger. Be angry about the right things and respond the right way. All right, let's, let's wrap it up. Uh, Laban uh, and Jacob um, do a ceremony right there to say we're burying the hatchet. I'm not, uh, it's not that I agree with you, but I'm not going to pursue you for evil, and you're not going to pursue me. And that was the end of it. Laban is not talked about anymore in the Bible. Um, doesn't see ever see his daughters or his grandkids again. Some of you are thinking, yes, 
no, that's, um, I don't know what would have happened if he would have owned it. If he would have said, man, I, I have not been a man of integrity. And uh, you know what? I mean, integrity says, not only do I keep my word and I work hard, but I even work for the good of people who have wronged me. And that was Jacob. That was Jacob. And that's why Laban eventually just said, okay, you're right. And so where you're at in your journey, when people looking at you and your life, are they saying, I know what he's about. I know what she's about. I know where she's going and why she's going there and who she believes. And they all match up. You know, parents, your kids are watching. Are you a person of integrity? I mean, our friends are watching. What are they seeing? Um, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we wrap up, I want to speak to those of you who have been chasing um, filling the hole, the deep hole in your heart with other things. And it's just been a frustrating journey. And today you realize that, you know, God's not part of that. God is the source of meeting my deepest needs. And so today um, may be the day that you look to him and just say, God, I want to come back to you. And you can talk to him in your own head right now and just say, I, I recognize that you love me, that you've been pursuing me. I recognize that I've been chasing other things besides you to meet a need in my life that only you can meet. And so I ask for your forgiveness and help me to know you and experience who you really are. And in so doing, you're going to teach me about myself and who I am and my value and my worth in your eyes so that I can rest. And even though uh, some other things in life I like, I have goals for, um, my life is not going to be determined by if I get those or not. And if they happen, I'll enjoy them. But you're, you're the source of my peace and my rest for my soul. Thank you for forgiving me and making a way for me to be united with the God of the universe who is above all, but also wants to walk alongside me. Thank you. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let me just quickly direct you. If you made a, a decision today and prayed along with me, and we have some information for you that will help you now take the steps in the journey to know God more, spend time with him to experience who he is and who he says you are. And so we just have some information, some ideas about how to, how to take some steps in that journey. And so I think you're going to find it helpful if you go out to the, that table in the middle outside those doors and just said you, pray, you prayed along with Bill today, um, uh, they'll give you that information. If you're online and you prayed along with me, go to rollinghills.org slash next steps. Let us know that you prayed um, with me today and let us know how we can get you that information and we'll send it to you. Also, if you want to um, join us in prayer, uh, about this coming year and, and it's a man it's an exciting uh, year in the life of our church and you want to be um, going to God and join us in that then across the other side of those tables is um, start here and we have a prayer sheet that you can uh, take and it'll guide you on how to be praying for us um, as a faith family uh, there's one more thing and I don't remember what it is but I'm glad you're here 
And God bless you. And let's continue to worship as we sing.